Well, good morning, Lighthouse. Can you check? Oh, I'm on. There we go. All right. Thank you, Michael. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. And uh, I hope you're glad you're here on this spring break weekend. Everybody ready to be in the word of the Lord? Can I get an amen? All right. That's fantastic. Well, I told you if you were here last week, I told you that we were going to have good news. You want some good news? Do you want to hear what the Lord's been doing through Lighthouse lately? Well, I'm going to ask Elaine to come forward right now. Michael, we need a microphone for Elaine. I totally forgot to let you guys know about that. And uh, Evan's on top of it. Way to go. Uh, but um, so, so Elaine, you need to know that Elaine does not like being up here. Okay? She is, she's a lot like me. Introverted, shy, doesn't like microphones. That's actually true about Elaine, though. So, so she, she, when I told her I wanted her to share what she's going to share, she's like, I don't want to come up on stage. I'm like, that's okay. I'm your boss. You just have to come up. So, no, <laughs> I didn't really say that. But, um, but before Elaine shares real quick, so there were two things I wanted to share about what the Lord is doing through you. A few weeks ago, we received an offering uh, to help the churches in Ukraine, specifically through Transformation Church. Uh, and um, they're, they're doing things on the border of Ukraine and Serbia, uh, Poland, Romania. And um, we collected uh, over $4,800 to send. Yeah, praise God for that, right? Isn't that amazing? That was you. That was you answering the call to help support brothers and sisters who are in need. So glory to God. And, and I mean, I, I clap for you, but more so I clap for your obedience to give generously to those in need. And now you know, uh, if you've been going to Lighthouse for any amount of time, we have been serving down in the Edison neighborhood through Urban Alliance, as well as building a relationship with Washington Writers Academy. And uh, it has really been incredible to see um, how that relationship has begun to flourish. And Elaine has done such a fantastic job. She, Elaine oversees um, our missions and missions team, and she is our uh, primary liaison to Washington Writers Academy. And uh, we had the opportunity a couple weeks ago, um, Washington Writers Academy had... Uh, had their parent-teacher day, and if you're a teacher, you know what that means. They're there from morning until into the night. And so we had the privilege of taking meals, like taking dinner, and a lot of you helped out providing soup and bread and dessert and all kinds of stuff for the teachers there. And so uh, Elaine's just going to share a story about kind of that process and Mr. Daniel and that kind of thing. So go ahead and share, Elaine. Um. There's a gentleman at Washington Writers Academy who's sort of the liaison with communities and schools, and he's the person that I work with there, um, primarily. And I had a meeting with him about a week before we did the, the meals for parent-teacher conference day. And he just said to me, you know, I've been involved in a lot of schools, and then he kind of chuckled because he's probably 25, and this is like his first job. <laughs> <laughs> But he said, and then he said, you know, not a lot of schools, but I know a lot of schools and I know people who work in schools and we talk and, and he said, I just want you to know that I've never seen a group do more for a school than you've done for us. And praise God, that's just God opening the doors because it just blows my mind every time I think about us doing these things in a public school 
where they could just have shut doors and said, no, we don't want a church to come in here because we don't know what you're going to do. We don't know if we can trust you. But I think at this point they do trust us and they're allowing us to come alongside and it's just God opening doors. Hmm. So hold on a second. So, so we have been building this relationship for a while and um, whether it's, you know, uh, Elaine had a brilliant idea a year ago in the midst of COVID to simply send handwritten notes to the teachers with a $5 gift card to Starbucks to just say, hey, we're, we're, we're on the same team, you know, we, we're thankful for you and what you do for, for the students and things like that. And we're building bridges. And then we had the opportunity, the, the principal texted me and just said, could you, you ready for this? Could you pray for this teacher? And doors are opening there. Opportunities are opening up because you are being faithful to just follow God's lead, to just follow God's lead. And that's how we make a difference in our community. That's how people like Mr. Daniel look at Lighthouse and say, I've never seen an organization do what you're doing for our school. And we're doing it for Jesus. We're making a difference for the kingdom. So I just want to take a moment and pray. Just pray for that relationship with Washington Writers Academy, that God will continue to bless it. So we do me a favor. Elaine is kind of our representative there. Would you just reach your hand out toward Elaine? Just do that for me. Let's bow our heads, reach your hand out, and we'll pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of serving you in the Edison community. God, you love those people there. And we have the privilege of being your hands and feet in that part of our community. Lord, thank you for Elaine and the, the bridges she is building uh, into, into Washington Riders Academy and into the Edison neighborhood. And Father, we pray that you would continue to bless us with favor, favor in that community, com favor uh, with the principal at Washington Riders Academy, with the staff and the faculty and with the people who live there, God, that they will see you through us and one day will we'll turn their eyes upon Jesus. Thank you, God. Bless Elaine. Be with her as she continues to, to make inroads there on your behalf for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Thank you, Elaine. You're awesome. I love working with her. So, yeah, it's awesome. That, that whole thing with Washington Writers Academy and raising, um, raising money to give to Ukraine and the churches there is a tangible way that we reveal what we believe. Are you with me? What you do reveals what you believe, okay? For some of you, a few weeks ago, you reached into your wallet and you gave. There are people who are online who weren't here uh, in person who watch, you guys watched online and you sent money in or you brought money into the office. That was a result of the Holy Spirit moving on your heart, okay? You gave, you gave, some of you gave soup, others gave other things so that we could give into the Washington Writers Academy. Why are we doing that? Because we love Jesus, and Jesus loves those people that we're ministering to, and we just want the two of them to connect. Am I right? Okay, that's what it's all about. What we do reveals what we believe. So 
I, um, one of the things that I kind of like to do is, I, I know this sounds weird, and it's not, okay? It's not. Some of you may do the same thing I do a lot. Of you probably don't. But I just like to walk through cemeteries. I, li- I do. I like walking through cemeteries. I like to try and find the oldest tombstone I can find in a cemetery. A- anybody else do that? Or am I? Okay, oh, man, a number of you. That's cool. Okay. And not only do I like to walk through cemeteries and try and find the oldest tombstone, I like to read what's on the tombstones. Anybody with me to see, like, you know, the different things that are written about people on their tombstone? Okay? And it's kind of interesting when you think about it, because uh, when you think about it, those are the final words. Those are the final words that are written. They're the final words that people say that everybody remembers. They're the words that stick with you. And it's pretty common when you walk through a cemetery that you'll see things like beloved father, right? Or beloved husband and father, or, or maybe a beloved mother and friend. So all of us sitting here today, here's the question for you and for me today is this. All of us are alive, I think, right? Check the person next to you. We're all alive. Okay. So the question here is, what do you want written on your tombstone? When some young guy comes walking through the cemetery, some young lady is, you know, attending a funeral. We were, we were in Sacramento, uh, California, last summer on vacation, and one of Sean's relatives had passed away, and, and we went to the cemetery and, uh, and, and we were doing the service there, and, uh, and, and as we were waiting for everything, waiting for the body and everything to get there, I did what I do. I just walked through the cemetery. I walked around. The whole family's kind of gathered together, and they're talking, and I was there for a little while to do that, but then, but then I just started walking around, and I started looking for the oldest tombstone I could find, and I just read I read what was written. So the question for you and me is, what do you want written on your tombstone? What do you want to be remembered for? Because what you're remembered for is produced in how you live now. Did you catch that? What people say about you after you pass away, what people, what's written on your tombstone is determined today. And every day that you draw breath, you're living into what will be written on your tombstone. So what do you want written on your tombstone? Today we continue our travelogue through the book of Acts. And we're going to nail down actually uh, all of chapter 6, the rest of chapter 6, chapter 7, and into chapter 8. Can I get a woo? That's way more than the usual one or two verses that I do, okay? So we're going to take a look at that, and uh, we're going to see what God has to say, and what those scriptures have to say about two people in particular. Two people in particular who lived radically different, but had something uniquely in common about their lives. So before we jump in and read that, let's pray together. Father, in the coming moments, as we look at these two men in a particular situation, I pray, God, that you would challenge our hearts to live into 
what we want written on our tombstone, then it wouldn't be something generic. But Father, even more so, I pray that we would live our lives in such a way that it writes on the hearts of the people that we know. That they won't just say nice platitudes about us, but our lives will make a difference for your kingdom, just like in the Edison neighborhood, just like at the border of Serbia and the Ukraine and in Romania and Poland, Lord, that our lives can make a difference. Help us to see that today, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Okay, so if you remember... Last week, we talked in the beginning of chapter 6, there was the first great disruption in the church. The first great conflict in the church. If you remember that, if you were with us, if not, I'll just refresh you really quick. There was a situation with the Hellenistic Jews. Those were um, Jewish people who lived into the Greek, uh, Greco-Roman ideology of life, which was directly opposed to the Hebraic way of living. Okay, So, so there arose a big you know, discrepancy, a, a big division between the Hellenistic Jews and the he Hebrew Jews because of how the Hellenistic Jews' widows were being treated. I don't have enough time to go into that. You can listen to last, last week's message, okay? But um, a, big, a big thing came about, a, a big to-do, and, and there was a, a lot of problems there. And so the disciples looked at the situation. They came. They brought the, the problem to the disciples. The disciples you know, said, listen, we don't have enough time to wait on tables and to do what we're supposed to do, what we're wired to do, what we're called to do. So you, you all pick seven men, pick seven men to take care of this problem. And the scripture tells us that they did indeed do that. They picked seven men. All of them, interestingly, were Hellenistic Jews. I love the fact that the disciples in the early church, one of the first things they did was give a voice to the voiceless they gave a voice to the people who were oppressed and marginalized and said you tell us what we need to do to make this right wow that's the church right there right and so they picked seven men and the scripture tells us by the end it didn't say that everything went great all we know all we know and we know that it was successful because it says that the church grew even larger and priests priests began to follow jesus big deal talked about it last week okay and one of those seven men was a guy by the name of stephen okay in acts chapter 6 verse 5 it says this proposal pleased the whole group how they were going to do it the seven men and this proposal that they made to the disciples and to the church it pleased the whole group they chose stephen everybody say stephen they chose stephen a man full of faith and of the holy spirit and then it lists the next six the next six men okay but specifically it says they chose stephen first name listed stephen a man full of faith and the holy spirit now it's interesting because that's not the last time that we see stephen's name in fact we'll see it again in three verses when it says this now stephen a man full of god's grace and power what do you think about stephen what, what are your thoughts when you read they chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit now Stephen a man full of God's grace and power this dude was anointed right this guy had power he was living the life making a difference and it says now Stephen a man full of God's grace and power performed great wonders and signs among the people in Jerusalem 
the city is rocking. It's shaking because this new uh, group of people, this grassroots movement is starting, is building momentum. Thousands of people have turned their lives over to this person that they're saying was the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again and ascended into heaven. And this, and this, 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 this grassroots movement is picking up momentum, it's growing, it's building. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people are placing their faith into Jesus Christ. And the church is born and is growing. And then you have Stephen coming out onto the pages of scripture. And he's not there for very long. He's really just kind of a flash. It says he's doing these great miraculous signs and he's doing powerful things and people are coming to know Jesus because of, as a result, I believe, of these things that Stephen's doing. And in the city of Jerusalem, things started to happen. Things started to go against the way as it was known back then. They weren't known as Christians. It wasn't known as church. They were simply known as a group called The Way. And we read earlier that, that the disciples began to get persecuted because of what they were doing, what they were proclaiming. And now Stephen is moving in power. It's moved beyond the Hebrew Jews into the Hellenistic Jews. And the religious community the religious establishment of the time did not like the way things were going. And they started persecuting him. And because Stephen is kind of the tip of the spear of a segment of the way, they grabbed Stephen and they were accusing him and they were lying about him and they were saying that he did things and said things that, that he didn't do or say. But it didn't matter. It's, have you ever heard the term, let me see, have you heard the term fake news? Anybody heard that term before? Yeah, yeah, okay. Stephen, Stephen was a person who was being, uh, had fake news revealed about him, okay? He, he was the guy who had all these lies being told about him. And, and so the religious establishment, they took Stephen, and, and it was like a mob of people. you got to keep remember this. It was a mob of people that grabbed Stephen, and they took him to the council, which is pretty much like the high court, the religious high court. And they took him, and it says, Scripture says, that they lied about him. They were telling all of these lies about things, that he lied about Moses, and he lied about the temple, basically. And the high priest looks at Stephen and says, is this so? Simple question. Is this so? door open the door is open and Stephen preaches the second sermon that we see in scripture Peter did the first one Peter did the first message 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ Stephen steps out in front of this group of people and he begins to speak and what he does is he talks about the history of Israel. Remember, this is a Hellenistic Jew. This is a man who more than likely grew up outside of Israel in a city that was predominantly Roman with Greek thought lines, okay? And he steps out and the, the, the high priest says, is what they're saying true? And Stephen begins to share the Jewish history. Israel's history and it starts with Abraham 
and he talks about Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and he moves on and he talks about Moses this great Moses who he's accused of saying you know that lying that he lied about Moses he tells the truth about Moses and he goes on to talk about David and Solomon and he goes throughout their history and I imagine some of them are going yeah we, we, we know we know we know okay some of them I imagine are going well this guy he knows his stuff for being a foreign Jew, he knows his stuff. Others still are, are, you know, some of the people who are in the crowd are going, wow, he's a powerful speaker. And then he wraps up the whole message by saying this, you stiff-necked people. Can you imagine if the end of the message today, I'm like, Jesus loves you, you stiff-necked people. That's a winning attitude. That's how, you know, how to win friends and influence people. That's it right there. Okay? He does this whole message where he goes to their history. And at the very end, when he's got the, I imagine that he stopped for just a moment and let it sit right there. And it's quiet. And I imagine that maybe Stephen wasn't quite like me. He wasn't loud and bombastic, but he just let it sit there. And maybe instead of yelling at them, he just lowered his voice. And maybe with tears in his eyes because he was a man filled with the Holy Spirit of God. That his heart wasn't angry at these people, but it was broken for them. Because they knew about God, but they didn't know He says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and your ears are uncircumcised. If you know your Old Testament, you know that circumcision is a sign of the covenant between Abraham and God. It's a sign of the covenant between Israel and God. And he says, your ears aren't tuned in to the covenant with God. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors didn't persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And, in now, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it now remember he's not talking to the commoners he's not talking to the jewish folk in the courtyard he is speaking to the hebrews of hebrews he is talking to the the greek word is i believe mucky mucks of the jewish faith they're the leaders and he has the audacity to say you have received the law that was given through the angels these people's whole lives were built around the law fulfilling the law keeping the law making sure you keep the law that was their job and stephen says you have received the law that was given through the angels but have not obeyed it he's accusing them of treason against god and it was more than they could bear at this point in time if you read the scripture it literally says they started shouting 
and plugging their ears. When he says that you have received the law through the angel, but you don't obey it, they literally went, no, 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 And they didn't want to hear it. It says that they were so angry at him. When you read it in scripture, it says they were so angry at Stephen that they started grinding their teeth. I don't read that a whole lot in scripture, right? I don't know about you, but I haven't seen that a whole lot about the whole grinding of teeth thing, okay? Can you imagine how angry they had to be in that moment to grind their teeth? If you sit there and do that, I did it. I was sitting in my office, I was going, like, you have to be pretty torqued to be so mad that you're grinding your teeth. Have you ever been there? I have. And they're so angry that as a mob, they grab Stephen and they take him and they stone him. Now let's talk about what it means for a person to get stoned in the biblical sense. <laughs> what does it mean for a person to get stoned? It was ugly. The scriptures talk about why you would stone a person. There's a number of reasons why a person would get stoned. A person would, get, would be put to death through stoning because of blaspheming against God. A person would uh, get stoned would have their lives end by stoning because of some, uh, some sexual uh, sins that they might commit. There are a number of reasons why a person would get stoned. And what they would do when they would stone a person, and it usually took place as a mob. It wasn't too often that it was a, a religious or a court or a judicial ruling that said, you're guilty death by stoning it was usually done at the hands of a mob and they would take the accused to a cliff and the cliff would typically be twice as tall as that person or higher and they would take him to a cliff in fact uh this is the cliff of golgotha right outside of the outside of jerusalem some believe that this is actually the cliff that stephen was pushed off of and if you read in scripture, it says they took him outside of the city because they wouldn't kill a person inside of the city walls. So they took him outside. They took this person to a cliff, which you can see how tall this cliff is. And they would literally, the, one of the witnesses or accusers would push that person off the cliff. That person, if, I, if this was the cliff, I would be standing here facing outwards and be pushed in the back off of the cliff. And they'd be pushed off of the cliff. If they died, great, job done. If they didn't die, the second witness would take a rock. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I think about stoning, I think of like a baseball-sized rock. Are you with me? And, and I'm just thinking right about where Mike Kempel's sitting back there. We're all just taking aim, and we're chucking rocks at him, right? Not the case. They would take huge boulders, and they push the, the person off, man or woman, they pushed them off the cliff. If they didn't die, the second person would come, roll them over, take a huge boulder, and throw it on their chest. If the person still didn't die, then the rest of the community would just start throwing rocks at them until they were dead. There were three reasons why stoning took place. 
the fir- and the reasons why it took place in this way. The first reason it took place in this way is so that the, the, the family of the person who was stoned to death could not pay retribution to one person. It was a community that helped take out or pay, made that person pay the consequences. It wasn't one person. It was an entire community. The second reason they would stone a person like this is because uh, they wanted to end this person's lineage. They didn't want anyone else to follow in the footsteps of this person. If you did, this is what happens to you. And the third reason they did it was because the sight, the smell, the noise would be a constant reminder to the people who were in attendance that you do not want this to happen to you. So that's what they did to Stephen. They took Stephen and they shoved him off of a cliff. And then they stoned him. And as Stephen is about to die with his last breath, it says that Stephen looked up into heaven and he said, Behold, the Lord Jesus, the Son of Man, standing beside the Father. And with his last breath, he says, Father, don't hold this sin against them. I mean, if that was me, and I'm pushed off a cliff, and y'all are throwing rocks at me, I'm saying, God, kill them all. Just kill them all. But remember what we read about Stephen? A man filled with God's Spirit. And how does a man or a person filled with God's Spirit respond in a moment like that? Father, don't their sin against them and scripture says with that he went asleep or that's the poetic scriptural way of saying that he died that he died and it's interesting because it's at this moment during Stephen's death that we're introduced to another person we're introduced to a person by the name of Saul you may know Saul as a person named Paul, a beloved person who wrote a lot of the New Testament. But scripture tells us about Saul that Saul was there. It says that meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. So as these people are grinding their teeth, as they're hauling Stephen out to the cliff, as they're getting ready, this is such strenuous work that they're taking their outer cloaks off and they're laying them at the feet of a guy by the name of Saul, a young man by the name of Saul. Saul was the coat check at this point. He's protecting everybody's garments while the deed's getting done. Okay? It's interesting. Because Stephen was a man who was willing to die for what he believed in. See, Saul, Saul was a Pharisee. Saul was one of those Hebrew of Hebrews. That's what he would say about himself. He was one of those people who looked at Stephen and knew that Stephen had to die. Stephen, Stephen was willing to die for what he believed in. His faith meant so much to him. And his belief in God's promises were so powerful that he was willing to put his life on the line. He was willing to become the first martyr for the Christian faith. 
what he did revealed what he believed. He was willing to die for what he believed. On the other hand, Saul was willing to kill for what he believed. Saul was willing to kill for what he believed. We look at Saul and, and, and we think of him in a certain way because we think of Paul. But a lot of us, when we look at Saul and we see what happened here, that, that, that Saul was the coat check guy. In fact, when you read in, in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And Saul approved of their killing Stephen. He approved of their killing. He may not have thrown a rock, but he approved of what they were doing. He was just as much a part of it as anybody else. And we look at Saul and we think that Saul is evil. We think that he's evil incarnate. He is the personification of evil. But I want to share something interesting with you as, as we're kind of wrapping up. I want to share something evil, uh, interesting with you, and it's this. That Saul didn't pursue the Jewish followers of the way because he hated them. It, it wasn't like Saul, you know, it wasn't like Hitler. Hitler who pursued and hunted down Jewish people to kill them because of their ethnicity. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like the Ku Klux Klan who hunted down, and I believe to this day still hunts down people because of their race. Saul didn't hunt down people because of their age or their gender. Now catch this because this is kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. As twisted as this sounds, Saul would hunt down people because of his love for God. Or what he perceived was love for God. It wasn't so much of his hatred for this group of people as much of it as it was his desire to love God and to live out his faith. He would hunt down these people because they were a threat to what he believed about God. He hunted them down because he believed that they were blaspheming God. And it, as, as passionate as Stephen was, and Stephen in his passion would die, Saul in his passion would kill was Saul right? No. Not in a million years was Saul right. And he would go on to write about this later on in the epistles, in his letters to the Corinthians and the Galatians and the Colossians. He would write about these things after he had an encounter with the living God. And when he had an encounter with Jesus Christ and he realized that, that his whole idea of who God is and what he had done was completely wrong. Completely wrong. He would write about it. But Saul, like Stephen, was passionate and willing to do whatever it took to proclaim what he believed. Now, let's bring it home. We are two, less than two weeks away from Good Friday. Two weeks away from that time when we realized that God, that God took action, that God showed what he believes through the death of his one and only son jesus christ that he believes in you that he believes in you good friday is the sign that if you don't hear anything else i say today hear this god loves you 
God loves you. That's what Good Friday is all about. God's love for you. So the question for you and me, if, if what we do reveals what we believe, then the question for you and me is this. What do you want on your tombstone? What do you want people to say about you? Oh, he was a good man. She was a wonderful woman. He cared about his family. She was a hard worker. Or do you want people to say about you, man, he loved Jesus. Whew, she loved God with all of her heart. How do you know? Because you should have seen it. There was a family that was in need. And they opened up their house. And they let that family stay with them. There was a family that they, they had sick people in their family and, and, and they made meals for that family. They couldn't stop doing out of their love for God. What do you want on your tombstone? What do you want people to remember about you? What are you willing to do about what you believe? Can you imagine if I had the cure for cancer? Can you imagine if I had the cure for cancer, all forms of cancer, I had the cure. What should I do with it? What would happen if I just kind of put it in a safe? I put the recipe for the cure for cancer in a safe and kept it locked up and protected so that I wouldn't forget what it was. What if I just kept it in my wallet, in my back pocket, but I didn't share it with anybody? You and I would look at that and go, no, 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 you've got to share it. You have to share it because people's lives are at stake. There are a lot of you who know somebody who right now has cancer. Doug, you've got to give, you've got to share with those people the answer. It's life and death. And what would happen if you found out that I had the answer, but I didn't share it? That'd be rough. Well, I'm going to tell you folks today, you have the answer to life and death. You do. You know the answer to life. You know Jesus Christ. Many of you in here, many of you in here know the answer to life and death. His name is Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. No other religion, no other person, no other way. You can't be good enough. I can't be good enough to earn my way into heaven. It's only through Jesus. And you, like me, have family members, neighbors, co-workers, fellow students who don't know Jesus. You have the answer. Do you believe it enough to do something about it? And here's the easiest thing you can do. Two weeks from today, 14 days is the greatest day in the history of history. I'm going to say that again because you need to amen that. 14 days from today is the greatest day in the history of history. Amen. Easter, the day that Jesus rose again. We remember Jesus rising again to give us hope in the future that the same thing will happen for those of us who call on Jesus' name. Okay? The other side of that, it's heaven or hell. There's only two options. Believe in Jesus, heaven. Don't follow Jesus, hell. And you and I have friends, neighbors, co-workers, family members who don't know Jesus. It's as simple. It's just inviting. It's as simple as, as, as beginning to build relationships with them. 
having coffee with someone, taking a meal to them, sharing in some tangible way, and then making the ask, hey, come in Easter Sunday, would you come with me? In fact, on your chairs, you have this card. We grab that card for me real quick? Just pick it up. And this card serves two purposes. One, it's a reminder for you, okay? As Aaron said earlier, son, our Easter service, we've got 9 and 1045 service, and we've got a huge Easter, huge Easter egg hunt at 1010. You can bring your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, if you're Mike Kempel. You can bring your neighbor's kids, as long as you're bringing your neighbors with them, okay? Invite, just make the invite. There is going to be a bold proclamation of Jesus Christ on that morning. And it's going to be a great morning. This serves as a reminder to you to make sure you're there. And, if you're so willing, to just say, hey, would you come with me? Here's just a reminder, you're invited to come with me. Maybe you're not comfortable handing them something. Maybe this is just a reminder to you to make the ask. To make the ask. You have the cure. Jesus is the answer. So three questions. Three questions I'd encourage you with. The first question is this. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? And be honest. I'm passionate about the Padres. Baseball season starting here and in a couple of days. I think April 7th. Am I right, Adam? April 7th, baby. And the Padres are on their way to the World Series. Probably not, but you can always hope, right? Just like Tiger fans. All right? But what are, what are you passionate about? But the even more important question is, what are you living for? What are you living for? for be honest as you talk about this second question what are you willing to do what you're living for what are you willing to do what's the price you're willing to pay Stephen died Stephen died a horrific death because he believed the truth about Jesus third question who will you invite to Easter Sunday you probably got a, a name in your head right now just popped right in there who is that person who is that family? Who are those people that you're going to invite on Easter Sunday? Because when it comes down to it, what did, what did Stephen do? What did Stephen do? He's, he's, getting, he's, he's got rocks and stones being hurled at him. And he turns his eyes upon Jesus. That's the answer, my friends. Jesus. Jesus is the way. Would you stand up with me? And we're going to close our time together by doing a couple of different songs, but starting with Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And I hope that in this moment, that's exactly what you're going to do. Wherever you are, whatever you're facing, whatever's happening in your life, the people that you know, that you will turn your eyes, not upon a government, not upon a man or a woman, but turn your eyes upon Jesus. Let's continue worshiping together and sing.